Uh, tonight, we're primarily talking about this issue of time and how that time can be meaningless. And according to Solomon, everything that happens throughout the course of time is meaningless unless we live in light of eternity and the fact that what we're doing now will live on forever. But you have to keep in mind, again, that the whole point of Ecclesiastes is to let us know what life would be if there were no eternity, what life would be if there was no Jesus. And so he's trying to get us to see that life is meaningless unless we live our lives in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that tonight. How many of you are old enough to remember an old song that was written years ago as a secular song, Turn, Turn, Turn? You remember it? You, you were saying it before I even got, got it out of my mouth. It, 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 was, it was just one of those songs that was supposed to make you feel good about life and feel good about seasons changing and turning and, and, and becoming something different and new and exciting. And, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that outside of eternity and outside of Christ, it, it still is meaningless. I didn't know this, but the guy that wrote that song uh, wrote it almost entirely using Scripture. There were a few lines in it that were not related to Scripture, but primarily the entire song was a reflection on Scripture that, had, that he had read from time to time. And I didn't know this either, uh, but he took all of the proceeds of that song, and rather than benefiting personally from that, he sent all of the proceeds of that song to the nation of Israel because he felt that they deserved to be able to, to gain from the influence of Scripture uh, that was written. And so it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. So this context, this context of time is something that we deal with all the time. It's a, it's a tension in our life that goes on throughout Throughout our, time, uh, throughout our history. I don't know if you remember being a kid and thinking like I did, if I can ever get old enough to do this, then I can't, I can't, I can't wait. There's water dripping on <laughs> me from the ceiling. I will, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I, is it raining outside? I'm still staying here. <clears throat> it didn't, no, it wasn't spit. It wasn't spit. It's coming from right up there. Good. That gives us another job to do. Praise the Lord. Gives God another opportunity to come through uh, in a miraculous way. I didn't know that was happening. But anyway, uh, you know, I can remember thinking that when I get to be 11 years old, I can throw a newspaper route. And I can be rich. I can get all this money. I mean, I mean, newspapers sold for like 25 cents a week back in those days. And I could sell them and then throw them and then at the end of the week go get, go get some money. And I'm telling you, I was excited about it. And then, and then I had this thing, well, I can't wait until I get my driver's license. And I get my, of course, where I grew up, you didn't really have to have one. You know, we have a farm community. It's like pretty much anybody can drive. If you can stay on the road, the police officers don't care in farm communities. 
because kids drove tractors and combines and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I bought my first car when I was like 14 years old, something like that. But anyway, you, you know, you look forward. If I can just graduate from high school and then if I can just go to college and graduate and if I can just get married, if I can just marry this woman, life will be amazing. And it has been because of her. But I remember getting married and, and we had all these dreams and all these plans. And, but you know what I discovered is, is that most everything that comes to us comes to us over time. It doesn't come all at one time. We didn't get everything that we sat down and thought that we'd like to have in time. It took periods of time. And in fact, there are some things that we dreamed about that we have, we have not yet received. We will, but we haven't yet. And so this whole concept of time, we say things like, where did time go? There aren't enough hours in the day. How many of you felt like that today? I've got to make the most of my time. You ever hear that one? And when will my time come? When will my time come? If I ever get to be elected president of the United States, I'm, I'm telling you. And so we deal with this whole concept of time. And the writer of Ecclesiastes then now talks about the mystery of time. So let's read together uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and then let's break it apart. Uh, beginning at verse 1, it says, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under the sun. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? Now, he's talking about all these tensions of time. Now, here's what you need to understand about this. This is written in the form of poetry. Uh, the writer Solomon was using poetry to define what he was trying to say about time. He uses the word time in the original language. It's used 29 times in this poem that you, can, that you can count. So 29 times he's referencing an occasion of time or, or time as it is referenced as an occurrence or as an occasion. The original uh, language in the Hebrew uh, literally means occasion. It is an occasion. So he uses a form of Poetry that is that is called a merism. You spell that M-E-R-I-S-M for those of you who may be taking notes. A merism is um, 
it is um, matching opposites and is a poetical device which not only makes statements about the two extremes, but everything in between. So it's not just talking about the extreme on the left and the extreme on the right, but it's talking about everything that transpires in between. It's a form of poetry called a merism. He uses 14 different exact opposites to let us know that there's a beginning point, there's an ending point, and then there is everything in between. For instance, a, a, a good example would be in Scripture we see the difference between light and dark. So he would not just be talking about light and dark, but everything in between. Uh, he, he would talk about uh, heaven and earth. So he's talking about heaven as being everything outside of the atmosphere of the earth, and earth being everything on the land, on the ground. So when they say between heaven and earth, he's not just talking about heaven there and earth here and being either or. It's either heaven or it's either earth. But the reference here is that he's referring to everything that begins at earth or begins in heaven and then finds its way all the way down through time to the beginning. You remember, God is the one who sees the end from the beginning. He created the beginning. He created the end. He has a plan. He knows what's going to happen. And so he begins this process that goes throughout time. And so this, this passage of Scripture is an example of how that God begins something and there is a conclusion to it but it includes everything that is in between. So let's look at some of the examples that he gives. In verse 2, he says there's a time to give birth and there's a time to die. So what he's talking about here is the cycle of life. It just goes on and on and on. How many of you know that you were here because somebody gave birth to you? Your mother gave birth to you. And you'll live however many years that you'll live. You may live, you, you may live 100 years. You may live 120 years. You may live 70 years. You may live 50 years. Nobody knows. God knows the times and the days of your life. But we don't know. So we live every day as though it could be the last. But, but there is a beginning and an ending. We believe as Christians that the beginning is at conception. It is not at birth, but it is at conception because Scripture says that he knew you in your mother's womb. From the very beginning, God knew you. And so this whole idea of abortion, I don't care how you twist it, I don't care how you turn it, it is nothing but a convenience for those who decide to take advantage of it. But you cannot change the fact that you're avoiding the life that God created in that mother's womb. So there is a beginning and there is an ending. And, and, and he's talking under the sun. Of course, we know that there is no ending. In, in the spiritual realm, we understand that the beginning is at conception, but we never die. We never, we, we never end. It goes all throughout eternity, but he's writing from the perspective of under the sun. So he says, he says there's a time to give birth 
and there's a time to die. Uh, you ladies, and, and I guess you dads too, aren't you glad that there's a time to stop giving birth? You know, the children stop coming, praise God. We can sit back and wait for the grandchildren to come. I like that. There's a time to give birth. There's a time to die. He goes on. He says there's a time to plant. There's a time to uproot. Now, what he's talking about here is agricultural. He's saying there are seasons to plant. I, I learned when I moved to Louisville that you don't plant until when? After the horses run. That's what I was told. After the horses run, you, you can plant. Now, I know that we have a few rebels in the house, and you don't, you don't abide by that. You plant whenever in the world you want to, and it may work for you. But the bottom line is, is that there are seasons when it is acceptable to plant. There's a time to tear up and to till the ground and prepare the ground and get it ready. I remember the first year that I had uh, a garden over here, somebody told me, they said, we're going to give you some... Uh, bring you some Dorothy Crosby horse manure and said, that'll help your garden grow. And, uh, and so sure enough, I looked out there one day and, and I don't know who brought it. I, I think I know who it was, but uh, my backyard did not smell very good that morning. And uh, there was horse manure spread in, in the back, but made my garden grow good, especially the weeds, really good. But there's a time for the garden to be planted there's also a time to come to come to, to harvest and, and to reap what has been sown. Now he's talking about agriculture, but we also understand that it's true in the spiritual realm as well. But again, his message is to refer only to the natural realm that is under the sun. So we plant and then we harvest, we reap. And so there's a time to plant, there's a time to uproot. How many of you know it would be useless for you to plant your crops on Christmas Day? It, it, it just wouldn't work because there's a time to plant, there's a time to uproot. Verse 3 says, there's a time to kill and there is a time to heal. Now let's, let's stop here long enough uh, to discuss this because, you know, all throughout history, nations have been at war with one another. And there's always been this question, you know, that comes up is, as Christians, does God condone Christian men and women serving in the military? Is it okay for them? Because uh, the, the, the assumption is, is that if you're in the military and you go to war, uh, you might have to take someone else's life. And the reality is, and I've always believed, that the scripture bears out that there is a time when it is perfectly within God's will for you to defend yourself, for you to defend your family. And, and more and more as the days go by, we're finding ourselves put in a position where we have to make some hard choices. I know that some of you uh, have concealed carry permits and you carry guns with you and and, and you know I'm I, I'm I do too I have a concealed permit and and I carry one with me from time to time I, I don't take it to bed with me but I, I you know I always pretty well know where it is our parsonage has a constant flow of people who come through here and I don't know who they are and I don't know what they're up to there are times that it's me and my wife here there are times that my grandbabies are here and there are times that you may find that you have to protect yourself. 
And, and so whether that's national or whether that's personal, there are times that God says through the writer that there's a time where killing may be appropriate. Now, uh, you know, that doesn't give us license just to go out and start killing people. A lot of what's going on in our world today is just needless violence. It, it just is not necessary whatsoever. But we've got into such a mentality and mindset of it that it happens on a regular basis. In fact, almost every day in Louisville, it seems like that someone is being shot, killed, murdered, found dead, stabbed by, you know, by someone else. It, it's craziness. But what he's referring here to is that there may be some times in life when you have to stand up and protect your nation, protect your country. We are free today because men and women fought for our freedom. And in that fighting, there were people who lost their lives because they were protecting their nation. So he's saying there's a time for that. There's a time that killing may be appropriate, but then the scripture says there's also a time for healing to take place. And here's where the problem comes in, and you'll, you'll just have to bear with me for, for a little bit. I remember my, my dad talking about, he was, he, he was a World War II veteran, and uh, he fought in Japan, and he, he was in the infantry, and he lived his whole life. Uh, with those memories and with, with, you know, just having it there in his mind. And he said one of the most difficult things for him was to come to a place in his life where he no longer hated Japanese people. Now, my dad was a Church of God pastor. He loved people. But he was put in a position as a young man where he had to fight to defend our nation and to, and to fight our country. And then he comes home. And now we live in a, in a world in America where people are coming into America by the hundreds of thousands to, to uh, come and live here. And, and so you have all of these different nationalities and what have you. And so we have to learn how to get beyond the killing and the hating and the negative attitudes. And we have to learn that there's a time for healing. It's time for our nation to do that with racism. It's time for us to realize that, you know, there, there, there was never a need for it. There was never an appropriate time to hate someone who was a different color than you or, or a different, uh, you know, nationality or whatever. There was never an appropriate time for that. But there certainly is no appropriate time for that now. And as the body of Christ, we have to realize it's time to heal that. We, we, uh, my, my daughter-in-law, Elizabeth, was talking about how the, the school that she works at, Simple Elementary, has been designated as, as an ESL school this year, and they, they bring refugees into the United States, and once they're here, they go to school. And she was telling us the other day that they've got several uh, Syrian refugees and, and, and other nationalities there. These kids are there trying to learn, and they don't even speak our language. They, they don't even know what's being said to them most of the time. And so the teachers now are dealt, dealt this hand where, like, what am I going to do? You know, I've got this kid here that I'm supposed to be teaching, and I can't, even, I can't even speak in such a way that they understand. 
So my, my daughter-in-law was telling me there's, a, there's an app that you can use on your phone that translates to different languages. And so you can just open your phone up and you can say, uh, you need to open your book to chapter 2. And then pick the language that it's supposed to speak. And then you hit the play button and it will say to that child, you need to open your book to chapter 2 or page whatever. And so she said they did that the other day with this, this little boy that was in class and said he never had understood uh, anything. His little sister was there, and they, they were there together, and they're trying to help him and trying to help him understand. They couldn't understand anything, so they took that app out and talked into it, pushed the language, and went. she said his eyes just got real big, and he started smiling from ear to ear and, and shaking his head, yes, and, and that kind of, she said, oh, she said, my heart, you know, it was just, you know, thank you, God, for this opportunity, and I really believe, you know, for years we went to the mission field, and now the mission field is coming to us, but we won't be able to minister unless we move from the time to kill to the time to heal. And to build people up and encourage them and love them. And so that's, that's what he's saying here. He said there's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. He says there's a time to tear down. There's a time to build. There's a, he, now what he's talking about here is he's talking about landmarks. He's talking about homes. He's talking about temples. He's talking about buildings that previous generations may have built. It was important to them. It was something that they put a lot of time and effort into, but it was no longer appropriate for the current time and age. Let me give you an example. Donna and I had the opportunity to live in Detroit, just outside of Detroit, Michigan, for four years. And as you know, Detroit at one time was Automobile City. I mean, there, there, there were plants everywhere there. We lived in a place called Fenton. I'm saying my hand... Is my hand front or back? Anyway, right down here. We lived in Fenton. And Fenton is south of Flint, and it's west of Detroit, and it's east of Ann Arbor. And all of those cities, they were totally dependent upon the automobile industry. People, I mean, they came from Alabama and Tennessee and Florida and Georgia by the thousands to work in those automobile plants. And then it, it went bust. It, it's like what's happening in West Virginia right now. I don't know if you know, but the Bailey family that's been coming the last few weeks just had to relocate from West Virginia because the coal plant, the coal mines are just shutting down just one after another, after another, after another. And he was able to get hired on at Ford. And so they moved to Louisville and that's where he's working now. But while we were there, we watched for four years, we watched those communities die. I mean, they died right before our very eyes. Churches closed down. Businesses closed down. And then finally, the plants just went completely dark. And so for years, those old plant structures stood in in the shadows of Detroit with nobody in there, the homeless would move in and they would kind of take over certain parts of it. 
you know, some of it had to do with drug activity and all that. And what was at one time such a positive thing that provided a positive economy for the nation now, or for the city, was now nothing but ruins. You know what they did? They knocked it all down, and they took all of that steel and that metal and that glass, and they took it all out, and they planted gardens in Detroit so that they could grow vegetables and feed the homeless community there in Detroit. And now what used to be this dark, ugly, nasty area of Detroit that nobody even wanted to go to, there are beautiful gardens there where they're able to supply food for those who are in need. So it was a time, there was a time that they needed to build those plants in order to build those cars so that they could provide economy for that area. But when that all went bust, they could just let it sit there or they could say it's time for us to do something that will be relative or, or relevant for this community today. And so, you know, how many of us know that it's, it, sometimes we can get so connected to a structure are so connected to a building, are so connected to a location that we can't see anything but that. But there are times to build. There are times to tear down. Now, our church will face that one of these days. We're getting very close now. I remember I said something about, I don't know what we're going to do, and somebody very quickly said, don't think about moving away from this location We've already tried that one time. I hadn't even said anything. But I'm telling you that if we continue to be blessed the way God is blessing us, this 250-seat sanctuary may not be able to hold uh, the crowd that God gives us. And so we have to start thinking, how are we going to accommodate that? Do we go to two, two services? Do we maybe come over here and tear down the old May building and put up a new sanctuary and connect it to the back building? Do we... You know, do we do, what do we do? God will let us know when that time comes. I'm not worrying about it. I won't lose any sleep over it tonight. But what I am saying is, is that we always have to carry in our mind that the mission of the kingdom is more important than maintaining a facility that may not always meet our needs as God grows his body of believers. Don't anybody freak out and go home tonight and toss and turn and say, Pastor's getting ready to sell the building. No, I'm not, I didn't say that. I'm just saying that what Solomon is saying here is that there are times to build things, but then there are times that, that what we built no longer meets the need, and so we may need to tear it down so that we can move forward. We may need to adjust our approach to our current situation. So there's a time to tear it down. There's a time to build. Then he says in verse 4, there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. Now let me tell you that there, there are appropriate times for both of those things. And as a pastor, I, I get the privilege of being able to walk with people through all of those seasons. Uh, I, I prefer to laugh with you, but there are times that I have to weep with you. There, there are times that things happen in your life that 
Uh, there are just no words. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've sat in hospital wards and in emergency rooms and, and in doctor's office with people while the doctor is explaining to someone how, how, how very dire their circumstance is. There have been times that I've had to just hold somebody's hand and let them cry until they could cry no more like David did at Ziklag. The scripture says he threw himself on the ground and wept until there was no more power to weep. I've been there watching people and, and holding people while they did that. It, it's, it's no fun at all. But scripture is saying that there's times that that will be the appropriate response to a situation. I've known people that refuse to grieve. Now, I'm not going to grieve. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to do it. You will because it's part of the natural process. Everybody grieves differently. Some people grieve very quickly. Some people, it may be three months later. Sometimes it's a year later. Sometimes people start immediately, and a year later they're still grieving. But what, what Solomon is saying is that there is an appropriate time for you to mourn, but you can't stay there. You can't live there. You eventually have to get yourself up like David did and wipe yourself off and wash your face and say, as hard as it's going to be, I'm going to move on from this and move forward from this and begin to celebrate again because God wants us to move beyond our mourning. And we can do it. He said, but there's a time to mourn and there's a time to weep. Do you remember David uh, when he danced before the Lord with all of his might? They say he just, he, he ripped off of his king, kingly robe and began to dance in the streets. And he's probably singing that old Doobie Brothers songs, taking it to the streets, <laughs> taking it to the streets. I don't know what he was singing, but he was singing and he was dancing, and he wasn't concerned about whether or not people knew him as the king at that moment. All that he cared about was is that they knew him as a celebrator of God. He, he lost all, all, all positional uh, thinking at that moment and just, and just threw it all away so that he could just celebrate. Some of us need to do that. Some of us just need to say, so, well, I might look stupid. I, look, I might like and look silly. That last night we went to the bats game with some of the guys and, and I did to my son what I do to my, my daughter, or my daughter, my, who is that? My wife, pretty, pretty frequently. She's just looking younger and younger and I'm looking older and older, so it's my daughter. But we were walking down, going to our seats and I just got this dumb song in my head. I don't even remember what it was now, but I just started giving it some of this, and I'm walking down through there, and I noticed that Jonathan just kept getting further and further and further away from me. And finally, I turned around, and I looked at him, and he said, this is kind of a weird place for you to be doing that. And I said, yeah, I, you're right. But, but there's a time to dance. There's a time to celebrate. There's a, you know, we just had our first baby. We just, you know, we just dedicated our baby. We just got married. We just, you know, we just bought our new home. We just got this new job. We just got this promotion. You know, celebrate that. Celebrate those things. And, and, and when there is times that, there, that there's loss in our lives, it's okay to mourn that. Just don't stay there. I know people in our church right now that they just can't get finished mourning. 
And no matter how hard I try to show them that, look, I, I get it. You know, I, I understand. I, I really do. And, and, you know, since I've been here, I've lost mom and I've lost my dad and, and, and two schnauzers. Both of them died since I've been here. Thank God for Louisville. Amen. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've done some mourning since we've been here. But I just can't, I can't live in a continual state of mourning. It's not healthy. It's not emotionally healthy. It's not, it's not spiritually healthy. And it's not physically healthy. So what, what he's saying is, is, come on. Yeah, mourn when it's appropriate. But don't forget to celebrate as well. Because God is good. He is awfully, awfully good to us. Said so there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. He says there's a time to throw stones, and there's a time to gather stones. Now, did you ever wonder what he might be talking about there? Did you ever think that it would be appropriate to pick up rocks and throw it at somebody that you know? You think that's what he's talking about? You know, there, there are religions in the world today that still stone people to death. They, they, they take them outside of town, and if they've committed certain offenses, they stone them until they are dead. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that. that that's, that's not what he's talking about. Back in Bible days, one of the tools that they used in warfare was to prevent their enemy from being able to plant crops, and so they would throw rocks into their fields so that they could not plant their crops. So let's say that they had 110 acres over here, and they go in and they do battle against this, this enemy. And so while they're engaging them in battle over here with spears and knives and, and arrows and, and, and all that kind of stuff, there's another whole group of people that have brought rocks and they're just out there in that 110 acres just throwing rocks out in the field. And sometimes they take big boulders and just push them off their chariots and, and, and into the field. And, and Because they knew that before they can plant their crops, before their plows will be able to come through here, their animals will hurt and injure their feet. Because when they step on the rocks, it will, it will give them stone bruises on the bottom of their feet. Their animals will go lame. They can't get their plows through the field. They can't plant a crop. So it, it keeps them in a weakened state for a, an extended period of time. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, there's a time when it is appropriate to throw rocks in your neighbor's garden. No, that's not what he's talking about. That, that, that wouldn't be New Testament grace, I don't think. But that, that's the reference here. He, see, those people that he was writing to in the Old Testament, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew that he wasn't talking about taking somebody out in the field and stoning them to death. They knew that he was talking about uh, sabotaging sabotaging. Their, their agricultural land so that they could not grow. It, it would be like going down to Uncle Doug's house where he grows all of his tomatoes and pouring concrete in all of his, uh, all of his flower beds. If he found out who did it, he'd be coming out. You know that time to kill? That, that he'd, be come, he'd say it's, a, it's an appropriate time right now. That's right. 
So, so that's what he's talking about. He said there's a time to throw stones in the agricultural areas, and then there's a time to gather them up. For instance, if the enemy had done that to you, if you're going to be able to plant a crop, you're going to have to gather those stones up. So you go through, you pick them all up, you store them off for the next battle, and then you get to go throw them in, in their land. So that, that's what he's talking about. And then he goes on and he says there's a time to embrace and there's a time to avoid embracing. You know, there are times that there are some people that have just made me angry enough that I don't really want to hug their neck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, there's a time when embracing is... And, and what he's saying here is, is that there are going to be times when we just disagree with one another. There, there are going to be times that if you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican, we're not going to see eye to eye. So really, you ought to just keep your opinion to yourself and I'll keep my opinion to myself because probably what you say to me is not going to change my mind and what I'm going to say to you is not going to change your mind. And the only thing we're going to end up doing is not liking each other for a period of time. So just stay off of it. I tickled at my son-in-law this week. He said, I have made my last political rant on Facebook. He said, I have clearly angered far too many people, and so I will not do it any longer. And I said, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> he came to me. He said, he said, I don't understand why. You know, you ought to be able to speak your opinion. You ought to be able to say what you want. You ought to be able. And I looked at him, and I said, welcome to the ministry. I said, when you're leading people, you have to keep your opinion sometimes to yourself. I, every, every election period since I've been in ministry, people come up to me and say, who'd you vote for, pastor? I said, none of your business. I love you, but that's my business. I've prayed about it. I've sought God about it. I've done what I feel like is the right thing to do. And that's between me and God. I hope you did the same thing. You see? Now, there are times that we, we will feel like embracing. There will, be, there will be times that we will feel like celebrating. And there will be times that we won't feel like that. I don't think, I think it was Uncle Doug, uh, way back in the beginning when all the stuff was happening. And we, we'd worked out all the arrangements and the bankruptcy was done. And they were coming to get the stuff and they, they took it. And then this church from Illinois was coming help going to help us build stages and put in sound system and all that kind of stuff. And I told everybody, I said, they're going to come. They're going to help us. They're going to pay for the wood. They're going to buy it. They're going to donate it. They're going, and I, I, I don't know if it was Uncle Doug. It might've been Jack, but it was, it was somebody here. They were here and they were standing in the parking lot with me when that bunch of people from Illinois started pulling in and they said, I'd have never believed it. Said, I know you've been saying it but I would have never believed it. You know why? Because still mourning the loss of something that had been taken away in a way that was unpleasant. And so we had to work through that. Didn't want to embrace anybody at that time. But now it's time to embrace. It's time to move on. You know, I, I know people in their marriages that they stopped learning how to forgive one another. They stopped... Uh, they stopped 
going to bed with one another and, and, and they, they created these barriers b- between one another. And what they need to learn how to do is forgive and forget and move on. Embrace. That I've, I've learned there's some arguments that we're never going to come to a conclusion on. Don and I are never going to agree on certain things. She loads the dish out, dish, uh, washer one way. I load it another way. And we're never going to do it the same way. Now listen, as long as she does it, I don't care how she does it. Because I know, I know if she doesn't do it, I have to. You know what I'm saying? Just get over it and move on. Time to search and a time to count as lost. We, we want to remember what, the way things were. We want to remember that what we one time had, but because of circumstances, it's gone. It's never coming back, baby. So you can mourn it for the rest of your life, or you can say, I can accept it as it is right now and count this as a blessing from the Lord and move forward. Time to search, a time to count as lost, time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about ripping their clothes off. When something bad happened, they would mourn by, by ripping their clothing. They would, they would just rip it. But then there came a time when they would repair that clothing and they would sew it back, signifying that that season is now complete and we're moving on. A time to be silent, there's a time to speak. You know, I I got a little bit beside myself Sunday. I said some things that I'm I'm not sure if I regret it or not. I got to quit right here, but... You know, I was talking about how that sometimes we're our own worst in, in, enemies. Excuse me. I'm stuttering a lot tonight for some reason. I must be hungry. I don't know. Sometimes we just need a good friend, a good trusted friend to come stand in our face and say, you're making a huge mistake. Now, I know you don't think you are, but you're making a poor decision here. You're my, I, I, I was anointed Sunday, and I said words like stupid, you know. But, but the bottom line is, how many of you know ignorant is just a lack of knowledge? Stupid is that we have the information, and we do it anyway. Yeah. Now, there have been times I've made ignorant decisions, but there have been times I've made stupid decisions. Yeah. And I just needed somebody to come by and say, listen, you're being a little stupid right now. If you just back up and see things the way that they really are rather than the way you think they are, then God would be able to do in your life what he desires to do, but he's never going to be able to do it. until. Aren't you thankful for friends like that? They're not trying to stab you to death and let you bleed out on the carpet. They're trying to prevent you from getting into a position where damage is going to be done that could be alleviated and prevented if you just make a different decision. And so I'm thankful that I have friends like that. I'm thankful that I have people who I've given permission and they have a place in my life to be able to talk to me that way so that I can hear and so that I can make proper decisions. And it's not fun to tell people that, those kinds of things, but sometimes we need to hear it. Sometimes we need for somebody to say this. 
I close with this. I had two families come up to me Sunday after church. And I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling like, oh, man, I was mean today. I, I should have not said this, and I should have not said that. And I had two families come up, and they said, Pastor, you have mic'd our house. You have secret microphones placed in our home. Because just last night, which would have been Saturday night, just last night we got into arguments and we said the following things to one another. They were exactly the words that you used when you preached this morning. Exactly. It was exactly what we were talking about. It was exactly what we were debating. It was exactly. And so when you were preaching Sunday morning, we were both kind of going. I said, well, praise the Lord, but I didn't do it on purpose. I said, and honest to goodness, I don't have any microphones in your house. But let me tell you, we need to be open to the reality that God will speak to us. Through people who have a place in our lives that we've given permission to. By virtue of the fact that you attend this church and you come here, there will be times that your pastor will say things that may not be pleasant, but they may be the very thing that you need to hear from the Lord so that you can make some course corrections and position yourself for blessing.